but I, I, <laughs> I, I, I usually will pick a chunk of text and work through it. And I, I wasn't able to do that this week, and I, I'm less comfortable preaching this way. So if I'm a little off today, um, that's my excuse, that and vacation. Um, we're going to open with a word of prayer, and, and uh, we're going to dive into this. Uh, and actually, I have a video clip today, which I'll explain before we start it. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning, and um, I pray that you would help me to um, speak words that, that are true of the scriptures, and that um, folks would come to know you more intimately through, through hearing the word and, and through this time of worship. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Okay, so we are working our way through Old Testament law, and the big emphasis I've kind of tried to move toward and all of this is I want folks to be able to sit down and look at the law, look at the Old Testament, look at the wholeness of the scriptures, and understand what's going on. Because the law itself is, you know, over 600 different commands, right? I mean, you, you start getting into the whole of Moses' covenant, that is a complicated document. And, and it is a complicated set of rules. And oftentimes, Christians will come at it, and, and they'll do it sort of willy-nilly, or like shotgun blast at it, where they're like, these look good, we should obey these. And, or, or they apply an incorrect interpretive approach. And I have an example of it this morning, and I, I wasn't going to use this video clip, and there are several people who are in Sunday school who talked me into it. So if you're offended by this, it's their fault. Um, <laughs> Um, this is actually a clip from a, a popular preacher, um, TV preacher from uh, Dallas, Houston. Houston, I'm sorry, she made a face at me. Um, that new screen actually covers your face, so if I stand here, I you don't know that you're mad at me. Um, <laughs> um, this is, uh, this is uh, Joel Osteen. I, some of you all have heard me made, make fun of him before. Um, <laughs> but this is from a message he did, um, and, and it'll kind of explain itself. He specifically talks about the dietary rules, the, the food regulations that are in the Old Testament. Um, if you know any Jewish folks, it's called eating kosher, right? And so we're going to set this up and we'll kind of talk about it and we'll use that as sort of our transition into discussing our, our material for today. Well, let's talk a moment about pork, ham, bacon, pepperoni. These are some of the things that the scripture tells us we should not eat. The ushers have already locked the doors. <laughs> And of course, this has to do with anything that comes from a pig, a hog, a swine. And I know some of you love. Bang. <laughs> Whose fault is it? Ham. <laughs> <laughs> Bacon, pepperoni, these are some of the things that the scripture tells us we should not eat. The ushers have already locked the doors. And of course, this has to do with anything that comes from a pig, a hog, a swine. And I know some of you love pork chops. You love ham and cheese sandwiches. I grew up on all that. I love bacon. But for our health's sake, we have to be willing to make some changes. God knows what's best for us. And back in the Bible days, the pig was considered unclean. It was never considered a source of food. And one of the main reasons why was the pig will eat anything. A pig eats waste and garbage. This is kind of gross, but a pig will eat its own dead child. A pig will eat other sick and infected animals. They're scavengers. And what's interesting is the pig has one of the quickest 
and porous digestive systems of any animal. It takes only four hours, and that's not good. Because the digestive system is so quick and so poor, many times the toxins from the food are not properly eliminated, and they are stored in the pig's fat. That means that pig can eat all kinds of filth and garbage. It can eat other infection. Four hours later, it's sent to the slaughter and butchered. In a few days, it's on your plate at home. You're having ribs. The problem is the toxins were never properly eliminated from the pig. On the other hand, the animals that God says are okay for us to eat, like cow, lamb, deer, buffalo, these animals eat fresh, clean vegetation. Their digestive system is much more sophisticated. In fact, a cow basically has three stomachs. And that fresh, clean vegetation is processed through a digestive system that takes 24 hours. Think about it. 24 hours versus 4 hours. Would you rather eat an animal that eats waste and filth or an animal that eats fresh, clean vegetation? An animal that poorly processes the food and stores the toxins in its fat? or an animal that properly eliminates the toxin from his body. I don't know about you, but I don't want to take a chance of putting that kind of junk in my body. And as I said, I love bacon, but a few years ago, we switched over and started eating turkey bacon. I can't tell the difference now. I love pizza, but I don't eat pepperoni anymore. I made changes, not only for my health's sake, I made changes to honor God. And I believe that if I'll do what I can to take care of myself, God will do what I can. Something else the Bible tells us we should stay away from is any kind of shellfish. Shrimp, crabs, clams, oysters, lobsters. Again, would y'all quit being so rebellious today? I'm ruining all y'all's lunch. These are animals that are scavengers. Do you know they live at the All right, for starters, I, I, uh, um, if you pay attention to what happens there, right, what the clip does, he starts out, he gives you strong arguments for reasons we ought to eat a certain way, and you should eat pork, by the way, it's good, and Jim grows it, or raises it. Um, and, and, I mean, like, like he, he presents good arguments, and then he closes it with, honor God by obeying this law. Did everybody catch that? And it sounded kind of reasonable, right? Um, the problem is that um, what he's teaching is actually sort of the opposite of what the New Testament teaches. Um, and what will happen is sometimes folks will come to, see, now I'm actually doing what he did, only I'm talking about his teaching as being unclean. Um, <laughs> oh, that felt good. Um, it's, but it's true, though, right? Which is more likely to toxify you, something you eat or something that gets in your heart and screws up your relationship with God? It's the truth, ain't it? And actually, that's what Jesus teaches about clean and unclean, and we'll get into that today. Um, there are a collection of laws in the Old Testament um, called the ceremonial laws. They're not called that in the scriptures. It's, I explained it last week um, that um, there are three sort of divisions that we apply to the law for interpretive purposes, right? So that we can read Moses' covenant and, like, interpret it according to, like, the different values of it. We do not follow the law of Moses. Everybody with me? The law of Moses was a, was a treaty between God and the nation of Israel. And Jesus said, um, basically, if you read in Matthew, he says, you know, the, the heaven and earth will pass away, but not a jot or a tittle will fall from the law um, un, 
until it's fulfilled, right? Um, and, and what he's saying there is basically, it's a euphemism, he says basically, the law is going to stand and the prophets will stand until hell freezes over or until it, it's fulfilled. And it sounds crass, but that's basically what that until heaven and earth pass away, like that's what it would be in our language, right? It's, they are not going away until they're fulfilled. Um, and we, we understand that Jesus shows up and he fulfills that covenant. He follows the law perfectly. He vi- doesn't violate any of the dietary rules. He has a heart for God, like a relationship with God that, that you know, was the ideal set forth by the law. And he fulfills it. Now that law is, is null, like it's passed away. And I know it's frustrating. It makes some of us cry because we want to obey the law. Um, sorry, I just had to work that in. Um, <laughs> um, that, that section of the law is passed away. It's passed away uh, because now we're under the law of grace. The purpose of the law, which we talked about in the first sermon of the series, was to tell us what sin was. Sin is rebellion against God, right? Like, we tend to think of sin in terms of, like, infractions of the rules, right? Like, you know, don't bear false witness against your neighbor. So when I spread rumors about Jeremy, like, that aren't true, I'm, I'm committing a sin, In reality, my sin is rebellion against God. Violation of the rules demonstrates to me that I am in rebellion against God. Everybody with me? Um, Now, based on that understanding, we divide into three sections. Moral law, which we looked at last week. These are things that we do or don't do that are offensive to God. So, like, if I were to kill my neighbor, like murder him just because I thought it would be a good idea, um, murdering my neighbor would be a violation of law that's an offense to God. It's a, it's a moral violation. Everybody with me? Um, and if you, if you want to learn more about that, like the, the last week we, we kind of talked about it, um, the next section we're going to talk about is the ceremonial laws. The ceremonial laws um, typically include things like the dietary laws, like Joel is talking about here, right? And there is a really complicated set of rules for obeying the dietary laws. Like if I had a spoon that I used to stir uh, ground pork, so it touched pork, that spoon could never be used to serve food for kosher, right? Kosher is like according to the dietary rules. Like the utensils and the plates could never have touched anything unclean. Like it was really strict. Um, you couldn't eat something like if you hit a, an animal in the road with your car. You can eat it because it's roadkill, right? Like you had to, it had to be prepared a certain way. If your animal did not ha- didn't have like its throat cut and the blood, you know, drained out, it wasn't kosher. Like there was a specific way prescribed for butchering animals, um, and it was really involved. So you have these dietary laws. There's a sacrificial system, right? Um, when Titus was born, um, on the eighth day, if we were going to follow the law, on the eighth day we would name him. And when we named him, we would circumcise him at that point, right? And then we would have to sacrifice a whole bunch of different animals. And because he's our first son, we would have to dedicate him to God. And there are all these laws about this, including, by the way, circumcision. Um, these are things like that were symbolic of other stuff. Um, but, you know, sacrifices, if I committed a sin, I had to sacrifice so that, like, my guilt wouldn't fall on me, like the punishment would fall on the animal. And that animal shed blood would cover my forgiveness. Um, there's laws about blood. Um, for example, there's you, you couldn't eat meat with blood in it. So your rare steak, no good. And thank God that's gone. Um, 
the related to women in their menstrual cycle, like um, because of the blood um, associated with it. There were laws that were very specific about interacting with a woman, um, or like you couldn't sit in the same chair she sat in while she's on her menstrual cycle, like because it the blood specifically was the issue there, right? Um, and I'll explain it in a little bit. We're going to come back to all of this, okay? Um, who could and could not attend worship? There were certain people that were not allowed in the temple. Um, they were not allowed to go into certain places. They were not allowed to, you know, like there were very specific rules about these sorts of things. And, and these rules, um, there are folks, like it, there was a big movement in, in the church um, over the last couple decades, actually, and it's still kind of common, where folks say, well, wait a minute, maybe these rules had a good purpose. Maybe we ought to go back and follow them so that we can be right before God. Um, the problem is that these rules, whereas the moral law points in the direction of a specific set of moral behaviors were to maintain before God, the ceremonial law tells us about deeper truths related to salvation, right? And related to how God's people are, how to, are, are to behave. Me not eating pork isn't going to make any difference between me and God. Everybody got that? Not a whit of difference. Um, nothing. So we can eat bacon. I had bacon for breakfast this morning, you know, and I enjoyed it because my wife made breakfast. It was great. Um, so what do we do with the law? First off, we have to understand that, the, again, the first interpretive standard, if we're going to approach it, it exists to tell us what sin is. Um, in the case of the ceremonial laws, um, the sacrifices, right, um, they exist to demonstrate for us the punishment of sin and our need for redemption, Everybody with me? Like, I need to be redeemed. When I do something wrong, I carry guilt before God. Um, and I need to be saved from that. that. That's a price that needs to be paid. In the same way as if I were to steal, you know, Michael's car, I, I, would, probably, I would probably have to pay a civic penalty, right? Like a fine, and I'd probably have to go to jail for a little while and, and whatnot. Um, like, like that, that, that payment has to exist. Um, so, like, the law exists, first off, to tell us what sin is. We cannot be right before God um, as a result of our behavior. I can't be super good in order to earn my way to heaven. Even the best amongst us will fall short. You think of the nicest, most well-behaved, most honoring God person you know, they are about a mile short of jumping high enough to reach God, right? You cannot earn your way there. And so this law demonstrates for us that we cannot earn our way to God. Instead, God sends his son to obey it perfectly, and he takes punishment for our sins. So when Jesus is crucified, he is punished for the bad things I do. Everybody with me? I know this is sort of re review, but like I'm, it, it, we're working in a direction here. Um, we can only become righteous by having faith in Jesus. Does that mean we ignore the law? No. We understand its purpose, and we use it according to its purpose, right? Last week, we talked about the moral law, which teaches us how to behave in a way that's acceptable to God. Um, but we're not bound to that. Actually, we're dead to sin. We um, use those laws as guidelines so we know how to be in relationship with God. Um, when I married my wife, I died to other relationships, so I don't date other women, right? Like, that part of my life is over. That, because I, you know, look like this, and that really kills it. Um, but, but um, the, the, like, like, we've died to sin, and so now we use the law to understand how to obey God because we're dead to sin. Now, the ceremonial law has a different role. Um, 
first off, we, we read in uh, um, Hebrews, the law is a shadow of things that are, that are to come. They're, they're a shadow of the story of Jesus. If you go through the Old Testament, the cool thing about the Old Testament, and actually we talked about this in Sunday school a little bit this morning, that um, the early Christians were able to sit down and look at the Old Testament and explain how all of that predicted Jesus. And like one of the early arguments for the truth of Christianity was that all of the Old Testament was a system that's reflected in the story of Christ. Like perfectly reflected and perfectly demonstrated. Um, so we base our understanding of the law on the New Testament. So now if I open the Bible and I read, don't eat pork, right? Um, I can flip to the New Testament where people are learning about the New Covenant and that rule changes. Um, and, and if I'm going to decide which one I'm going to understand, which one I'm going to obey, the New Testament tells of the rule set that I live under, right? The contract between me and God. Um, and so we look to the New Testament for interpretation of the Old Testament. Um, with the moral law, um, you can go in. Paul, for example, lists off, don't get drunk. Don't go out and worship things that aren't God. Don't sleep around. Don't go to orgies. Don't do this. Don't do that. All these things you're not supposed to do because these are the moral law. And Paul is saying, still follow these things because these are guidelines for how to have a relationship with God. Um, with the ceremonial laws, the New Testament goes through and explains every one of them and why they exist. Um, and not why they exist in every instance. We'll get to that. Um, there's sometimes a desire to interpret the law based on practicality. Okay? We saw Joel do that. Right? What did Joel say? Why shouldn't we eat pork? It's bad for you. Right? Um, and that's why. And there's actually was this big movement where people would say, well, we should obey the dietary laws because they teach us how to be healthy. Um, that is not the reason they existed. I, it may be a tertiary purpose. It may be a purpose that was like an added benefit. The primary reason for the dietary laws had nothing to do with health. Everybody with me? They didn't. It's not that deep of a truth if you think about it, right? I mean, like at the end of the day, what spiritually is there to be gained by knowing that if I don't eat pork, I'll be healthier? Or that if I eat crab, I might get, you know, parasites? Um, you get that at eating at McDonald's. and Anyway, that's not even mentioned in the dietary law. Um, in reality, the ceremonial laws point to general, larger principles about Christ and the church. Um, whenever we encounter the ceremonial law in the New Testament, it is always said to no longer be in effect. Everybody with me? We're going to work through some chunks of it, and I'll explain this. It'll probably make a little more sense. I hate doing this kind of long front-loading because it's hard to listen to, right? Um, <laughs> um, so let's look at the sacrificial system. This is from Hebrews. For the law, since it was only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of those things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year after year, make perfect those who draw near. So every year they would sacrifice animals for the forgiveness of sins. But the sacrificing of animals can't really forgive your sins. Does everybody get that? Like if I, you know, take a sheep out in the yard, you know, buy one from Claire Alderdice and... Um, you know, take it out and sacrifice it and say, all right, I'm forgiven. In reality, I just killed a sheep in the yard, and that's it. <laughs> like, that is all I did. Um, and I probably ticked off the neighbors. Um, and I may have violated a Montana law, but we'll get <laughs> away. Um, 
Are, you're not allowed to slaughter animals in town, right? I don't think you are. Um, anyway, so the law could never make them perfect. The sacrifices, otherwise, they would, they would, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshippers, having been once cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin year by year. For it is impossible by the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So Paul, um, or whoever wrote Hebrews, I'm going to go with Paul. Um, Paul is saying, look, that sacrificing of animals year after year reminded you that you have punishment coming. That you are wrong before God. That you have sin that demands like payment. You know, the, the, the evil thoughts we have, the, the greed, the desire for things that don't belong to us, the lust that we harbor in our hearts, our anger, our hatred, all of our resentment, all of the garbage that we pile up, right? The sacrifices that the Jews would perform at the temple was a reminder, hey, you've got sin. You have these sins that are there. Because if it was sufficient, they'd only have to do it once. And having done it once, they would be clean and made new, right? Um, He goes on. He says, therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me in whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. You have taken no pleasure. Then I said, he's quoting scripture, another passage he quotes. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written uh, of me to do your will, God. Um, After saying above sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings, um, And sacrifices for sin you did not desire, nor have you taken pleasure in them, for they were offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus shows up. Jesus comes, does God's will, and he takes away the first in order to establish the second, meaning that Jesus was sacrificed for our sins the same way that the bulls and goats were sacrificed as a symbol of forgiveness, right? And pointing forward to Jesus' sacrifice. So, like, when we look at all of the sacrifices, and, man, there are a lot of them. If you want to read about blood and guts, book of Leviticus, start at the beginning, work your way through. I think Jeremy just read it a month ago, right? And it is one thing after another. If you find a skin rash, these are the sacrifices you're supposed to offer. If you, <laughs> I, and like if you have a baby, these are the sacrifices you have to offer to cleanse yourself. And these are the sacrifices you have to offer to redeem your child. And these are the sac- I mean, there are sacrifices for one thing after another, and it all points forward to the redemption, to the making new, to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Everybody with me? So when we read those sections of the scripture, we can look and say, these are about Jesus dying for my sin. This is a deeper truth that's in that story. Got it? Um, so that's the purpose of those. Like, like, this is the reason that the sacrifices exist, was to tell us about Jesus. The dietary regulation. Um, I'm going to explain this before I dive into it. Um, We're going to talk about lobster, right? Anybody not like lobster? Really? So, you guys, I don't know. Is a lobster a fish? Is it? It's a crustacean, yeah. It's not a fish, right? Is it a land animal? No. It is actually an animal that is standing between two very clearly divided groups, right? Fish, things with scales that live in the water, and animals that wander around on the land, right? 
It is standing right in the middle of them because it's sort of like a land animal because it's got legs and arms and little pinchers, and you could actually put it on the land. It'll survive for a little while. I don't think it'll last long, but um, I don't know that much about crustaceans. Um, it, but it, it's right in between. The dietary laws specifically delineate whole groups of animals, right? And they're restricted to eating only things that fall within whole groups. Everybody got that? So like catfish, do catfish have scales? No, they've got skin, right? Well, because they've got skin, they're sort of like land animals, right? And so they fall into the don't eat these pile, right? Because they land between two different groups. One of the things that the Jews were emphasized over and over and over again in the Old Testament is you are set apart. You are my people. You are not like everyone else. You don't go out and you don't marry with folks who aren't Jewish. You don't go out and you don't, like, worship with people who are worshiping pagan gods. You don't, like, you, you need to set yourselves apart and you need to remain different. You need to keep the Hebrew language. This is the language you're going to speak. You stay separate. The dietary laws were an emphasis of that. Everybody with me? They emphasized that separateness, and every time they sat down to eat, they were reminded, we're the Jewish people and we're set apart. We are not like everyone else. And actually, when you start looking at when the Jews really get in trouble in front of God, they get in trouble because they start blowing it in these areas. They start, you know, they, they take the promised land and they're like, well, these guys seem nice. Let them, let's let them live amongst us. Now, they sacrifice their kids occasionally, but you know what? They, we all make mistakes. Let them live here. And over time, those people started marrying with the Jewish folks. They started bringing their religious customs. And all of a sudden, the Jewish faith becomes very diluted. And they become, like, like not set apart. They begin to look like the rest of the world. Everybody with me? Um, the dietary laws existed for that purpose. Well, what do we do with that? Um, first off, we need to recognize, Jesus teaches this. Do, uh, words of Christ, he says, Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth, mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and slanders. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Um, what's Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, if you want to look at the things that screw you up in front of God, it's the, it's the junk you collect in your heart, right? Um, what, are the, what are Christians to do with the dietary laws? Well, for starters, we're to look at it according to their purpose, right? One of the dietary laws was wash your hands before you eat. This is a good rule, right? Um, but these laws are associated with a set of truths that we can apply. Um, as the church, we should not delude ourselves. Isn't it the truth? We shouldn't pretend that we're part of the world. We shouldn't take the scripture and say, well, maybe we can fit this with popular opinion by twisting this part and tweaking this part and turning this part on its head. And what if Jesus really didn't say this, but he said that? No, we're set apart, right? We're supposed to act different. We're supposed to live different. In the ancient world, folks knew who Christians were, not because they dressed funny, not because of anything, but because they acted funny, right? Folks looked at them, and they're like, these guys are peculiar. What are we supposed to do with them? Um, there was a common accusation in the ancient world that Christians were atheists. Why? Because they only had one God. And everybody else worshipped everything. 
I mean, they worship things to hedge their bets. They, you know, well, we're going to sacrifice to all of these different religious systems just in case one of them's not true or just in case one of them, you know, the gods decides to help us out. And the Christians wouldn't do that. Um, in fact, the Christians wouldn't worship the emperor, and that was a thing that got them in an awful lot of trouble. But instead they said, we're set apart. What do we do with the dietary regulations? We look at them and we say, there's truths about the church. In very real ways, the church reflects the Jewish faith, right? In that we're supposed to be set apart. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to act different. We're supposed to live different um, from Acts. This is actually where we see the dietary laws wiped out. On the next day, as they were... On their way approaching the city, Peter went up onto the housetop and on the sixth hour to pray. Uh, but he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while, he was, while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance and he saw the sky open up and an object like a great sheet came down, lowered by the four corners to the ground. And there were in all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, By no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And again a voice came to him a second time and said, What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. Um, Why is that? Because the dietary regulations had a purpose. After that purpose is fulfilled, they don't don't matter anymore. You can eat bacon. (laughs) I was hoping I'd get that. (laughs) Um, They had a purpose. We can learn from them. We cannot be right before God by not eating bacon. Anybody who sells that is selling something that's just not scriptural, including Joel with his great hair. Um, In the same vein, Jews were told, and actually if you talk to folks who don't believe in God, this is a common argument. Folks will say, Christians cherry-pick the Bible, right? Um, There's actually a Christian writer, writer, uh, Rachel Held Evans, who attacks... um, the Old Testament law by saying, well, I'm going to obey all of them. And in the end, she's like, well, look, I have to wear clothing of one fiber because it's commanded in the Old Testament. And I can't eat food that came from a field that had more than one type of produce planted in it. Um, so, so, you know, we should obey these laws. And they'll say, well, Christians don't obey those laws, so they're only picking the ones they like because they're all hypocrites. In reality, these laws are a part of the Old Covenant, and they're washed away. We don't follow them anymore. They're part of the ceremonial law. Well, what's the purpose of wearing only one type of fabric? Based on the last one, we could probably guess, right? We're supposed to be set apart. We're supposed to be pure. We're supposed to be different. We're not supposed to mix our faith or our beliefs with other things. We're supposed to hold it pure. And as a people, we're supposed to stand unified, not mix up, not wander off, stand together, right? Even their clothing reminded them of this, right? Another clothing rule, by the way, they, uh, they were supposed to wear tassels on their clothes, which would be kind of cool. Um, and the scriptures actually say the tassels are there to remind you to obey the law. So every time you look at that stupid tassel hanging off your clothes, it's there to tell you, obey the law, right? Remember the covenant. We don't live by the law. We live by grace. We're in relationship with God. Um, circumcision. If you don't know what circumcision, ask your mom and dad when you get home. I'm not going to explain it today. Um, well, I have to to do this, I guess. Doggone it. Um, there were, in the early church, there was a huge argument. Do Christians have to be circumcised in order to be Christians? Um, and they went back and forth and all these fighting about it. And in the end, there was a council, right? The first church council, the council of Jerusalem. The, the apostles gathered up and all of the followers of Jesus, like guys who knew Jesus, they gathered up and they sat down and they had a meeting in the temple. 
And actually, one of Paul's um, one of Paul's guys, Titus, I think it was, had to get circumcised to go into the temple. Um, and so he was circumcised, not to be right before God. Like one of the things they discussed was, when Gentiles convert, do they have to get circumcised in order to follow Jesus? And they discussed it. And in the end, they said, nope. Paul went around and taught for years. Anybody who teaches you to be circumcised, to be right before God, is telling you to obey the law. And if you think you can obey the law perfectly enough to be right before God, have at it. But you can't. Everybody with me? We don't do circumcision to be right before God. A lot of people do it for cleanly reasons or whatever, but um, circumcision is not something that can ever, ever, ever make us right before God. Um, It was actually symbolic. In um, Colossians, we we see part of this. For in him the the fullness of deity dwells in the bodily form. That's Jesus. And in him you have been made complete. And he is head over over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made not made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised, raised up with him through the faith and the working of God and raised from the dead. Um, what he's saying is, listen, circumcision points forward to the time when Jesus would die for us. And those of us who have faith in Christ the sinful part of us, the flesh, the part of us that desires sin, it's cut off because we die to sin and it's thrown away. Um, Circumcision points forward to us being made new apart from our sinful flesh. I'm sure there's great symbolism in there, like related to the act itself, but we're not going to talk about it this morning. Um, Ultimately, when we look at something like circumcision, what do we learn from it? Well, we don't learn, circumcise your kids or they'll go to hell, right? We don't learn, do it because it's healthier. That's what the Bible says. We learn when we're in Christ, our old self, the part of us that's dead, the part of us that is dragging us to hell, is cut away, and it's tossed, and it's gone. And what remains is, is a new creation in Christ. Um, that's what we do with it. That's the purpose of this law, is to point forward to Jesus. Um, I think that's actually application. So what do we do with it? First off, recognize, if you are a person who is in Christ, you are free, right? You do not have to spend your time being absolutely careful to obey every law perfectly. Everybody with me? Anybody ever struggle with that where you're like, ah, I've got this sin, I keep doing it, and I'm in trouble. Like, I have to do it or else God will squish me. Ultimately, we obey the law, right, to be right before God. But not... Because it'll make us right before God. We're right before God because of Jesus. We obey the portions of the law that pertain to behavior because that's part of being in a relationship. In the same way as like, you know, I don't date other women because I'm married. Because that's a rule that's a part of our relationship. I could probably get away with it, but it would definitely mess up our marriage. Um, And there's no school for the blind around here. Um, I tell jokes to see how many people are still paying attention. Um... We can see deeper truths in it. When you look at the law, when you look at the scripture, there is nothing that you cannot derive at least something about God from. Even the genealogies, honestly. Um, but in, the, in these laws, we don't follow them to be right. We understand them to understand Jesus. The Old Testament is full of stories about Christ. Actually, Jesus himself said this about it. He said, all of scriptures points toward me, right? Because all of scripture is a story of Jesus. Um, there's also some guidance to be found in these laws. 
Um, there's some guidance in the sense that it tells us, like the circumcision law, that we're supposed to die to our flesh. We're supposed to die to this old way of life. There's some truth in that, right? As the church, anybody ever been in a church that had a fight? A church where there were factions? We're the guys who like hymns. We're the guys who don't. We're the guys who want Eric to preach every Sunday. We're the guys who are just waiting until he quits. We're the guys who... That's division, right? We're supposed to be a fabric of one, you know, of one type. We're supposed to belong to each other. We're supposed to be, be in love with each other. We're supposed to take care of each other. We're supposed to walk together and live together. We're supposed to invite each other over to each other's houses to eat. This is the way we're called to live. And we're actually demonstrated it in the truths of these laws. Um, because if we don't do it, we'll go to hell? No, because doing it is part of having a right relationship with God. Um, we're going to close in prayer, and um, I, we're going to eat lunch, right? Um, let's, uh, let's pray. Or, or do we have a last song? Do I ask beforehand? We do? Okay. Jess is gone. She usually tells me. Um, <laughs> let's uh, pray, and we'll close with a, a final song. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us today. Help us to learn to read your law and discern, Lord. Help us to, to learn to, to read your law and come to know you more intimately through the truths that you give us. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't desire to be shackled by the law or, or by obedience, but that we would desire to be set free in Christ, free from sin, free from the desire to sin, free from um, the, the threat of the punishment of, of, of violating the law, Lord. I pray that you would give us grace and, and help us to live in this new way. Amen. Next week, we'll be looking at the final section, the civic codes. Um, until then, go in peace.